turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 102. With Psalm 102, for us to understand the psalm, it's helpful to read the superscription or the little introductory statement before the psalm. Notice how the little introductory statement says, A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Listen now to this song. Remember, these are the lyrics for a song. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, my bones burn like a furnace, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered, I forget to eat my bread." Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you've taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. 
That is a song for the old year. As a pastor, it was always my custom to preach an old year sermon and a new year sermon. I get kicked out, out of somehow my students. They don't even know what I'm talking about when I say old years. Well, that's the last day of the year. Today is December 31, 2023. It is the last day of our calendar year. And so the question is, what does God's word have to say to us on this last day of the year? Well, one thing God's word is very clear about in this psalm is the reality of our mortality. Kids, that means that we grow old and die. That's something we reflect on at the end of the year, how quickly time marches on. I just saw a picture of one of my cousins who's my age. She was with her whole family, and I didn't even recognize her. She has aged. It made me worry, well, if she saw a picture of me, what would she think? Isn't it amazing how our little babies grow up, grow up so fast? This past year, if you had a little baby... Little baby's rolling over and then crawling and then next, you know, pulling himself up by a little coffee table and then walking and then your kids are in grade school and then some of you are amazed that your kids are graduating from high school. Some, all, for some of you, all of your kids are out of high school. Kids go off to college. Dads and moms are empty nesters. And then many of you here who think you're quite young yet have these little kids walking around calling you grandpa and grandma. Well, the psalmist reflects on the brevity of life. He uses different figures of speech here to speak to that reality. He is very aware of how short life is. At the same time, he is so grateful that his brevity, the brevity of his life, is anchored in an eternal God, as we shall see. Now, another thing I would do at the beginning of the new year as a pastor is I would always, in the new year, preach a sermon either on prayer or on the reading of God's Word. Just like last year, we began as a church to encourage people to read through the Bible in a year or in two years. And so I decided, too, that's what I would do basically today, have two sermons that are really about prayer. As the new year comes Maybe we don't need to make resolutions about losing weight, but there is a resolution we should be making, like, well, yes, to grow in godliness, but also to grow in prayer. What we have in Psalm 102 is a prayer. Now, some psalms are just confessions. This psalm is a prayer. The whole time, the psalmist, he's talking to God. We need to be like him in the new year. Professor Anima has scheduled that in the new year, in the adult Sunday school, we will look at the Psalms of Lament, or rather what the Bible teaches about lamentation and lament. And I think the members of the adult Sunday school are going to be surprised what a rich theme that is in the sacred scriptures. So today I'm really introducing the whole congregation to the concept of lamentation. How do we deal with the trials we face in this short life? As the New Year's comes, when we are walking through what is a vale of tears, 
How are we going to do, deal with all the trials and hardships and the pain of living in this fallen world? And the answer is through the grace of lamentation. Mark Brukop, who's a pastor, wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, in which he tells the story about how he lamented the loss of his stillborn daughter, Sylvia. This is a book that Professor Anna gave me to read as the two of us are going to lead a class on this topic. And in this book, Mark talks about how he learned to lament. What happened is that his wife, Sarah, was pregnant with their fourth child. And a few days before her due date, she suddenly realized there was no movement. The baby wasn't moving in her tummy. Kids, you know how you can feel... A little baby's elbows and knees kicking against mommy's tummy. And so they went to the doctor. And after the doctor took an ultrasound, he said, I'm so sorry, but the heart's not beating. Mark and his wife cried as Sylvia was born, a nine-pound baby girl, but born lifeless. Well, in this book, Mark talks about how he dealt with this, his piercing sorrow by learning to pray and sing the psalms of lament. And he says, I came to see lament as a helpful gift from the Lord. Psalm 102 is a song of lament. And today we're going to look at it under the theme, an exiled songwriter lamenting personal and corporate affliction. We're going to look at the meaning of that and then the manner in which he does that and then the comfort he derives from lamentation. Now, the inspired writer of Psalm 102 is not Asaph, it's not David. It's a man who lived centuries and centuries later during the time of the Babylonian captivity. We have an exiled man who is a songwriter who in Babylon pens this song. The title or superscription of this psalm tells us that this is a prayer of lament. Look what that little superscription says. It says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. In the first 11 verses of the song, the psalmist is lamenting the personal afflictions that he is personally going through. Later on in the psalm, in verse 13 and following, he begins with a corporate uh, lament where he laments for how all of God's people in Babylon are hurting. But the first 11 verses are his own personal lament. Now, for how many of us was... The year 2023, a year of lamentation. I watched as my mother-in-law died a very hard death. Tears were shed. In your family, too, there have been news of cancer. There have been sicknesses, tears, loss. Some of you have been homebound. How many of you have health problems? 
If I ask you to raise your hands, if I ask how many of you within the last two weeks have been suffering from some sort of sickness, it'd be amazing how many hands we'd probably see. In fact, a week ago, I was under the weather. I was sick with a cold or virus or something, bad headaches. I still am up here. I still have a headache. I thought, actually, I thought, I didn't wonder if I'd have a voice or not for today, but then I thought, actually, it was really good that I was sick as I was meditating on this psalm of lament. Because the psalmist was way sicker than I was. He laments that he's sick in verses 3 and 4 and 5. He says in verse 3 at the end, My bones burn like a furnace. I wonder if he's saying that I have a high fever. He says in verse 4, My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Maybe you were sick and you lost a little weight. I think that's what the psalmist is saying here, too. He says, because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. He's unable to eat. Now, he doesn't tell us what sickness he had. We don't know how he was sick. All we know is that he was very sick. In fact, he is so sick that he actually is praying to God and saying, Save my life, he says. Don't cut my life off. I'm middle-aged, he's saying. I'm not 70 or 80 yet, so have mercy. But he's sick, and it's affecting his appearance. He's losing weight. He says that he forgets to eat his bread in verse 4. He's maybe reduced to skin and bones. Now, how many of us, even this morning, feel a little bit like that? Maybe you feel too. Yeah, I've been sick, and I just, I don't feel well. Some in the congregation have or are struggling with cancer. Now notice what the psalmist is doing, and that is the whole point here of what we're getting at today, is that the psalmist, when he's suffering, he doesn't just try to deal with this by himself. He doesn't turn in on himself, but what he does is he talks to the Lord. He does the opposite of what King Asa did. This is what we read about King Asa. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. King Asa, when he got old, got a little proud there. He gets very sick, and he doesn't even talk to God. He doesn't even bring God a prayer of lamentation. He doesn't even pray for healing. But that is what we're learning from the psalmist here. So he laments that he's sick. He also laments that he is so lonely. He feels so isolated. In verse 6, he says, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. What he's saying is like, I feel like I'm a lonely owl who's all by myself, out in the middle of the wilderness, off in the desert, all by myself, totally isolated. I don't know if he had people around him or not. Men in prison talk about how they're surrounded by people but feel so lonely. Kelly Holland is so lonely. Or if he has people around him but he was unable to interact with them or they're they're ignoring him or something, but he feels so lonely. And he keeps talking about that. Look how in the next verse, verse 7, he says, I lay awake 
I think the point in this context is he's laying awake at night. He can't sleep, and he feels so alone and isolated. He says, I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. So once again, he's thinking of something that's all by itself. A sparrow at night, it's roosting, and this sparrow is just by itself. It doesn't have a flock of sparrows around it, all by itself. I kind of think of my great Pyrenees. We're down to one great Pyrenees, and he stays up awake all night by himself, guarding the property, and boy, he is glad when we wake up in the morning and go out to pet him. The psalmist is like that. He's lonely. We have widows and widowers in the congregation, too, who are very lonely. Young adults who are unmarried, lonely. It's hard. But here's, here's what the scriptures are showing us. Go to the Lord with your pain. But even it's worse than that. The psalmist even has enemies attacking him. In verse 8, he talks about how he has enemies who taunt him and... They attack him, and then the crazy thing is that they even use his name as a cuss word. He says, those who deride me use my name for a curse. So they hit their finger with a hammer. They say his name. Has someone been out to get you? There are people who are, for whatever reason, they decide they're going to be your enemy. They're going to try to destroy you. The psalmist is overwhelmed with sadness. He laments that he's constantly sad. In verse 9, he says, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Perhaps he's overemphasizing things to make a point here, but he's acting like every time you know, he takes a drink out of a glass of water or something, there his tears are in there. He's crying so hard. But once again, what do we, what do, we do when we're sad Maybe we're even depressed. Maybe we're even moving towards a clinical depression. What is the encouragement here? Go to the Lord. Bring your sadness. Tell the Lord about your sadness. He knows. On top of this, all the psalmist laments chastisements. The Lord is spanking him for his sins. Kids, it's not just children who receive discipline. It's dads and moms and grandpas and grandmas who receive discipline too. Moses writes about that, how the covenant people during the wilderness wanders, older people are chastised by the Lord. Here the psalmist, a grown man, is talking about how he is being chastised by God. In verse 10, he, he weeps. He says, because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. He realizes that what has happened to him is not just, it's not like by random chance, you know, he got this sickness. No, God is the one who has caused him to have this sickness. God is the one who has broken his strength in mid-course, he says in verse 23, and shortened his days. So this is a penitential song. In fact, historically, this is one of the great seven penitential songs in the Psalter in which saints confess their sins, repent of their sins. And that's what we lament too. You know, our lives would be a lot easier if by God's grace and by the power that is in us by the Spirit, we would live more godly and grateful lives. But because we are so sinful and so weak in ourselves, the Lord needs to chastise us. Sometimes we're very aware that he's chastising us. Sometimes we're aware because he 
gives us a deep sense of guilt. Other times we can see how, oh yeah, the chastisement fit my sin. Other times we're not so sure, and we don't always know if the Lord is chastising us or not. But we commit the same sins as the Israelites did of old. Do you ever murmur or complain? By the way, we have to carefully distinguish between murmuring and complaining and then the prayer of lament, which also involves complaint too. Do we lust and covet things we shouldn't have? Yes, we do. Do we break the Sabbath? Yes, we do. Do we break all of God's commandments? Yes, we do. And because our Father loves us, you see, he chastises us. But it hurts. Well, when the Lord chastises us, then go to him like the psalmist. Lament. The psalmist, he is down. I mean, he is sad about so many things. He is lamenting the brevity of life. You know how does you begin life? You have all these hopes and dreams, and then you get into your 40s and 50s, and it seems like none of those hopes and dreams are going to come true. Of course, the danger is that as young, as young kids, you think, well, you're going to live forever. We even get into middle age, and yes, it's true, our grandpas and grandmas have passed away, and our parents are getting older, but somehow we're still in self-denial, as if we're going to live forever in this fallen world. The psalmist doesn't believe that. He has to pray, take me not away in the midst of my days. He knows he's in danger of dying. And then he uses these figures of speech to talk about how short life is. In verse 3, he says, For my days pass away like smoke. Kids, when you get out of church today, maybe when someone starts up their car, you might see some smoke come out of the tailpipe. And then what happens? That smoke just dissipates and it's gone. Or as you drive home, look for some chimneys. Maybe there's someone who's burning some wood in their house, and you'll see that there's smoke coming out of the chimney. But what happens? It right away disappears. Okay, that's our life. That's how short life is. And then in verse 11, he says, My days are like an evening shadow. Like an evening shadow. What's an evening shadow? Well, tonight, kids, when it gets to be about 4.30 p.m., which is sunset, well, actually, go outside a little before that. Go outside at about 4.15 when the sun is just at the horizon yet, and what's going to happen? Well, when the sun is at the horizon, you're going to look really tall with your shadow, right? But 15 minutes later, guess what? Your shadow's going to be gone. The sun will set your shadow will disappear. That's how brief your life is. It's just like an evening shadow. Finally, he says, my life in verse 11 is like withered grass. I wither away like grass. I think of how a few times my kids made a mistake on a hot summer day of mowing the lawn and mowing it too short. And then with 100 degrees outside and the sun coming down hot, by the end of the day, the grass that remained was brown and dead. That's what our life is like. Not only does he, he mention here the brevity of our personal lives in verse 26. Did you notice how that in itself would be an old year sermon? Think of how the Apostle Peter talks about how God is going to burn up this whole 
creation. Remember, God has promised never to destroy the whole earth with a worldwide flood again, but he will burn the world with fire. He says in verse 26 about the heavens and the earth, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. So there, there the psalmist is talking about how this whole planet, the whole cosmos is going to be burned and destroyed and the earth will be made new again. So the psalmist has all of these personal laments. And then in verse 13 and following, he moves to corporate lament. That is, he laments for all the people of God. You see, the people of God were captives in Babylon. In verse 13, we read about how God's people need somehow to be saved. He says, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. And then in verse 14, he talks about, how the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. Her walls are thrown down. He says, for your servants hold her stones dear. Yeah, that's all that's left of the walls of Jerusalem, stones, and have pity on her dust. The city and her walls were destroyed. The temple of God was burned and destroyed. He also laments how the covenant people are prisoners. In verse 20, he says, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. A few of the Israelites had been incarcerated in Babylon, like some of their prominent kings had been. But most of the Israelites weren't in chains. They weren't in bonds. They were not in a prison. But nevertheless, they were enslaved. They were imprisoned in a strange country. And they were afraid that they were going to die there. And they weren't happy about that. They wished they could die back in the promised land. So note how the psalmist here engages in personal and corporate lament. Believers, what we see here is that that's what we need to do too. When hard time comes, when suffering comes, don't just withdraw into yourself. Don't say, well, I'll have to deal with this sickness. I'll have to deal with this pain. I'll have to deal with this loneliness. No, bring it to the Lord. Lament is the way in which Christians openly and honestly bring their hurt to God. That's what's amazing about this psalm and other songs of lament. The saints are so open. They're so honest. They talk about their emotions. They talk about how they feel. They talk about their pain. Be open, be honest, go to your God with prayers of lament. Mark Frugop, the pastor I talked about earlier, writes that as a pastor, he became convinced that biblical lament is not only a gift, but also a neglected dimension in the Christian life. And here's his thesis. There is deep mercy under dark clouds when we discover the grace of lament. Did you know that a full one-third of all the psalms are songs of lament? And you know what? People don't want to sing them. We don't even want to sing them. They're too depressing, we think. But God has given them to us to show us what a rich, experiential spirituality is like. 
God uses the means of prayers of lament to bring renewed faith and hope. And that's exactly what we find in this Psalm 2, in Psalm 102. Because what we find in this Psalm is that the psalmist is lamenting in faith. Now, one thing I've been thinking about is how do you distinguish between how the Israelites during the wilderness wanderings complained and murmured and God chastised them and punished them and then what we call a song of lament. Well, clearly one difference is this, is that the psalmist, yes, he's coming to God with his sorrows and his hurts, but he also comes in faith. Comes in faith, believing that his brief life is anchored in his eternal God. Notice how he... He says in verse 12, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. There's a big contrast there. He's looking at the brevity of his life, how he might die, and then he realizes his God is the eternal God. With great force, he says, You whose years endure throughout all generations. Here we are at the end of another year. A whole other year of our lives has passed by. We're getting older. But our God and our Savior is the God who always was and is and will be. He is the glorious creator. In verse 25, the psalmist sings, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He talks about how, yes, all the creation will undergo a change. The whole creation will perish. But he says, but you are the same, and your years have no end. And that is of great importance as we face our own mortality, as we stand by the grave. We can be anchored in the eternal kingship, the eternal reign of God, our covenant God. And anchored in God means that we are anchored in his only begotten son who has become a man. We are anchored in Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews, remember, celebrates how Christ is our unchanging Savior. He says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. How is it that Zion will be restored? What will happen to Jerusalem? All these predictions said that the king would come. To Zion. Yes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Christ is the same. He is the same since he is the eternal Son of God. According to his divine person, he is the same. According to his divine nature, of which his divine person is the subject, it is the same from everlasting to everlasting. And guess what? Jesus Christ will always remain a man. The incarnation of the Son of God will never end. Always the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, will continue to be united to human nature. He is the same. He is the same yesterday, the one who shed his blood for us on the cross. How is it that you and I are right with God? How is it that we have the wonder that we have been justified? We're celebrating that this morning as we drink of the cup. Christ's 
blood was once and forever shed for us. He is our great high priest. And he is the same today. Christ is no longer hanging on the cross. He has now ascended to the heights of power. And he remains our great high priest who intercedes for us. And he is the same forever. Forever Christ will shepherd us in the new heavens and the new earth. How is it that you and I can have hope in the face of the trials of life? Well, it's because Jesus also engaged in the prayer of lament. Did you know that Jesus lamented? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. After all, Psalm 22 is a psalm of lamentation. That's the psalm of lamentation in the Old Testament, which the psalmist said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And then of greatest significance, what does Matthew record for us in the Gospel account? He says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes the words of a song of lament upon his own lips. He says, oh, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? As he suffers hellish agonies, as he pays for all of our sins. You see, Christ needed to lament so that we could live in hope and joy. And the psalmist moves to hope in verse 12. In verse 12, we have a shift in this whole song. And that's what we want to see in our lives too. Yes, we might begin with lament, but then we move to hope and even to joy. Martin Luther said, everything that has gone before looks to this verse. He's right. The verse says, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Everything that follows builds on that too. And the psalmist, then he begins to confess that God will keep his promises. He says God will build up Zion, he says in verse 16. In verse 15, he speaks about how God will save a Gentile church. I think not only of those Gentile magi worshiping the Christ child, but I think of us today, Gentiles worshiping the king. He confesses that God will show covenant mercy in generations, even though the generations in Babylon, you know, their grandpas and grandmas and great-grandpas and grandmas had blown it. He says, I want it to be recorded what God has done so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. He says, verse 28, the children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. And he talks about how God will hear the groans of the prisoners. He will set free those doomed to die, which was fulfilled when the returned exiles, after 70 years, came back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and the temple. Now, there is comfort to be derived, therefore, from our songs of lament. In this new year, what we want to do is Let's be open and honest with God when we hurt. Don't try to just hold your sorrows in. 
go to the Lord. And as you go to the Lord, talk to him. Be open. And in that way, the Lord comforts and encourages us. The psalmist emphasizes that God hears our prayers. He regards the prayers of the destitute and does not despise their prayer, he says. He prays in that psalm that God would heal him, and the Lord apparently did. And so God uses, you see, prayers of lament to draw us to him. So yes, we come to the end of the year. We all have hard things in our life. If we would go around this congregation and say, okay, what are some of the hard things you're going through right now? We would be astonished at the amount of suffering in our congregation. In the midst of your suffering, go to the Lord with prayers of lament. On the other hand, we also know that in the congregation, there is a lot of joy. There's a lot of celebration. There's a lot of happiness. There are Babies who have been born. There are mothers who are pregnant. There are new marriages. There's God's great goodness being shown to us in a thousand ways. Well, once again, when we are grateful and thankful, go to the Lord and tell him about your gratitude. In other words, pray. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in heaven you hear our prayers. And we are so grateful that you are a tender heavenly father who, yes, you chastise us, but you also love us so much that you uphold us and comfort us and strengthen us and you do not deal with us according to our sins. We are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered the accursed death on our behalf. And we're so glad now too we can celebrate our union with him and our communion with him as we come to this holy table. In the precious name of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we pray. Amen.